Welcome to Israel from the Inside, where we try to break out of the echo chamber, surfacing the wide array of often conflicting viewpoints that make up the mosaic of Israeli life. I'm Daniel Gordas of Shalem College in Jerusalem. Go to danielgordas.substack.com where you can subscribe to these podcasts and join our community of listeners and readers, access the archive of all these episodes, and post comments, interacting with others who share your interest in Zionism, Israel, and the future of the Jewish state. During the course of this summer of 2022, we're actually running a series of podcasts about interesting educational ventures in Israeli life. We typically think of education as being for the young, either the very young or the somewhat young or so forth. Uh, but we're actually looking at a variety of programs that are about education for Israeli adults. Education, Jewish education, Zionist education, etc., is actually much more of a hot-button issue in Israeli life than many people might assume. Uh, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with two people, Sharon Vardi and Nora Berger, who are uh, both involved in a very unique program, which we might call, I guess, on one foot, a mechina for adults. But in order to understand what that means, we have to talk about what mechinot are. So uh, let's begin by just turning it over to Sharon and Nora. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what your roles in this program is, and then we'll dive right in. So uh, I'm Sharon. I grew up in Israel all my life. I've been here. I did the military service, let's say, for 25 years. I was a pilot in the Israeli Air Force. I was commanding uh, two squadrons, so I'm I'm total Israeli, huh? and 100% uh, from here. And it surprised me when I went to visit my son that did a mechina. Immediately, the first day, the first meeting, uh, I felt something is different. Now the question: How can it be? It was after two months in the mechina. The fact that it is different. How do I know? Because many parents said it the same day. Many parents felt that this is, we are in a, in a unique environment. We feel things are different. We see our kids that we left home two months before, and they speak about other things. Uh, it was Israel. It was the society. It was books. You know, it was, it was amazing that my son took me to the library of the Mechina and showed me so many books. So it's immediately you feel that um, there is they, they succeeded to to build, let's say, in the real life of Israel for real kids, okay, grown-ups in Israel, to build in a different place. But Nora, you want to continue? So before we go on, Nora, let me just stop you before you go on. You can explain it, Nora. What, what for our listeners, like what is a mechina? Like Sharon was saying, he dropped his son off at a mechina. But I got it. What is that? <laughs> okay. And you did drop your daughter off at a mechina, so you know very well. So, John, two seconds, two sentences about me. I'm my name is Nora Berger. I just moved to Israel with my husband about eight months ago. We were 20 years in New Jersey. I was born in Israel. I grew up in Australia. 
and uh, hadn't lived here for many, many years. And during the Mechina, it was probably the best gift that I could give myself uh, as an entree back into Israel after so many years. Even though I know Israel really, really well, by visiting Israel every year, I speak fluent Hebrew. I worked at APAC for many years, so I'm well aware of all the threats facing Israel and follow Israeli politics closely. But the year that uh, this Mechina just gave me insight as an Israeli in Hebrew into the social, economic, political um, environment and the challenges that Israel faces. Um, Mechina is a purely Israeli phenomenon. I don't know of anywhere else in the world where the state supports a year of study for high school graduates to learn about the country's history and challenges in the hope of creating people who will become leaders in the military and in civil society afterwards. I'm the second person in my family to do Mechina. After graduating from high school in New Jersey, my daughter did a gap year, Mechina, which prepared her both physically and mentally for the IDF. She became fluent in Hebrew. She learned a lot about Judaism, Jewish identity. She did a lot of tiulim tours around the country. She heard from incredible speakers, did intensive preparation for the army. Um, and like Sharon said, it just elevated her knowledge in a way that, uh, that I don't think any other gap year could have done. It acclimated her to Israeli culture and gave her 40 friends who I think will be lifelong friends. So as she was doing this, I thought, this is incredible. Why isn't there one for grown-ups? Because it's such a rich, fantastic program. And then I heard about Leshatefat Menu, Sharon's program, and I signed up immediately and thought, this is a wonderful gift to myself as a returning Israeli to really get to know Israel from the inside, to do really high intensive learning um, in, in a really, really uh, intensive way. Sharon, let me ask you a quick question. How do you usually translate Lishatefat's menu? Would you call it to include ourselves also or something like that? I uh, can. Well, I think uh, the best way to translate is to say to immerse ourselves. Okay, Peseda. Okay, so to immerse ourselves also, we, we also want in. Before we go on and talk about Lishatefat's menu, this program that you've created for adults, um, just give us an idea of some of the array of mechinot that exist out there for Israeli high school graduates. I'll just point out, I mean, I, I think it's clear, but maybe not, just to make sure everybody understands. This is a year that people do that comes at the expense of nothing else. They don't get a year off of university. They don't get a year off of the army. They're just spending an additional year. They're going to finish the army a year later. They're going to finish university a year later. Uh, and they do this because they just simply want to study. They get no academic credit. They just get a very different kind of take on life. Uh, I'll also point out that actually there's a huge demand for this in Israel, much more demand than there actually is supply. There are thousands of kids each year who would like to go to these who don't have an opportunity to go to them. And that's a different issue that people in the government are actually trying to work on to increase capacity. But Sharon, before we go on, maybe you can just give us an idea of some of the variety of the different kinds of mechinot that exist inside Israel for these usually 18-year-old young men and women who have just graduated high school. What are they? What are the options out there? So it started, it's interesting, it started with orthodox mechinot that were like yeshiva, with preparation for military service. It's the orthodox uh, uh, society that felt they are not contributing enough and they wanted to find a way to bring their kids to be uh, strong from, from the, the orthodox part, no? So they will not change their way of life, 
while doing military service. So they said, okay, we'll prepare them for one year. It will be like a yeshiva, studying like a yeshiva, but we will do other things, okay, to prepare them. Then, after the, what happened with the Rabin, I think. The assassination of Rabin in 1995. With the example of the Mechinot that existed, those few Mechinot, Orthodox Mechinot, people said, okay, hey, we can take this idea to do something different. And the first Mechina was Nachshon, like Nachshon ben Aminadav from the Bible. And uh, they said- Nachshon ben Aminadav, just to interrupt, he was the first one who jumped into the Red Sea. So uh, when everybody calls somebody Nachshon ben Aminadav, they're the, okay, you, you dive in first. That's what the phrase means. Go ahead. Exactly. They said, okay, let's do a Mechina, a different one. And we will uh, connect people, uh, non-Orthodox, with Chilonim, uh, that is uh, secular, secular, non-religious, yeah. Together, to live together one year, to study together one year, to speak about Jewish texts and Jewish ideas, and to speak about uh, free modern ideas, okay, different ideas together. Let's solve the problem. This was the the first. This this was you know the the, the first ideas. And they, they had a difficult way to do. I mean, in the first years, it was difficult to convince young people to give one year of their life, as you uh, uh, just said, no? Because you don't get, in turn, you don't get anything from it. Uh, uh, to convince young people to do it and to convince the parents to do it. And slowly, slowly, it took years. It took years to, uh, to have the idea filtered to the Israeli society. But we are now in a different situation. Today, after 22, 23 years from the first, those first Mechinot, uh, we have three groups. We have the Orthodox, for the Orthodox, with the same ideas before. We have the Mechinot that uh, have the, the two of them. I mean, Orthodox and non-Orthodox. And there are the, the, the free Mechinot that most of them are non-Orthodox. There are some Orthodox uh, kids that go there. The difference is um, the idea is the same. Look, I found it uh, reading about uh, Greek philosophers that in uh, in ancient Greek, people went uh, for two years military service. The first year was studying about your country, your society, ideas. Greek philosophy, and you look at it and you say, hey, 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 it's the same as Mechina in Israel. So those Greek people, more than 2,000 years ago, they said, okay, we have to prepare the young civilian, the, the young... Uh, citizen. citizen. The young citizen to be a real citizen and to serve his country. Look, this is the same. We are not preparing soldiers. It's far away from that. It's, it's a very, very small part of the, of the activity and the program. The idea is let's have a young man in 2022, 2023 now prepared to be a good citizen. Now, the question is, what is a good citizen? What is a good country? What do you want to, build to, to be part of? And again and again. This is Mechinot. And, and today it's a big success. People yeah. want to go can I just add one thing also? Uh, the army gives these people a deferment for a year. And the hope is, and I, I believe it's a great success, is that these people will become officers and leaders in the army. 
And I believe that the statistic is something like 25% of the officers in the army are graduates of the Mechinot. So it's a win-win for the country and for the army. Yeah, so let me just go back and give a little bit of background just to fill it in a tiny bit about these Mechinot. As Sharon was saying, it started out in the Orthodox community and then it was Orthodox people that wanted just to give their kids a little bit of, I guess you could say, fortitude as they went off to the army to make sure that they would be able to preserve their way of life even in the army, which is mostly a secular environment. So how do you balance your religious commitments with the secular world? You're going to be with secular people. You're going to be asked to do all sorts of things on Shabbat, which you have no choice but to do, since, of course, uh, the enemy does not take Shabbat off either. Um, so there's all kinds of things that, that one needs to do. And then, as Sharon pointed out, 1995 was a, a traumatic moment in Israeli life because of the assassination of Rabin. And I think many people think of the assassination of Rabin as a political crisis, uh, and a crisis for democracy. If you're going to assassinate your political leaders, then what kind of democracy do you have? It was obviously that kind of a crisis, but it was much more than that. It was also a profound social crisis in Israel because rightly or wrongly, fairly or unfairly, many secular Israelis saw Rabin's death as the work of or the result of uh, the right wing the religious community, the rhetoric of the religious community. I mean, to this day, photographs of Bibi Netanyahu at certain rallies are still explosive photographs because they imply that he was part of rabbling, you know, getting the crowd all roused up. He, of course, denies that completely, and I'm not taking a stand one way or the other. But just to say that today in 2022, even those photographs can still elicit huge debates. And so the question really became in 1995, how are we going to get these religious and secular kids who now blame each other for what's happening to the country, not to blame each other, but to meet each other and to learn together and to read? The ones who haven't read Herzl should read Herzl. And the ones who have no idea what a page of Talmud looks like should know what a page of Talmud is like. None of them are really prepared. And you were saying, uh, Sharon, before that you were looking at the ancient Greeks who had this notion of citizen preparation, citizenship preparation, which is what the Mechinot are doing, uh, you know, many of our listeners are in the United States. And I think that if there was ever a period in America when people would acknowledge that there is a need to take people um, and prepare them for citizenship, what did people write, let's say, in the Federalist Papers? And uh, what was Martin Luther King's letter from the Birmingham jail really all about? And what did Lincoln say in this address or that address? Um, I think that there's actually an argument that could be made for people at the age of 18, which is when they're really able to think about issues much differently than they were even a couple of years before that, uh, to take a year out. You can go to Harvard whenever you go to Harvard. You can go to Michigan whenever you go to Michigan. They'll still be there for you. Um, but do that. But how to handle America is another issue. So we have all different kinds of mechinot. By the way, I'll just point out, I, you guys know this very well, but some of our listeners may not. There's even a mechinah now for Bedouin kids. Uh, actually, it's a graduate of Shalem College, where I teach and work, uh, who actually founded it. The idea is the same. Israeli Bedouins are Israeli citizens. Um, if they're going to be productive members of Israeli society, they too should know what were the ideas behind the founding of the state. They may not be Zionists in the classic sense, because obviously they're not their, their, their life's mission is not the enhancement of the Jewish people, but the Mechina world is a whole world unto itself. But that's another conversation. I just wanted to give people some background. Now let's come to L'Shatef Etatzmenu, which is the program that you, Sharon, created, that you, Nora, are participating in, are, are so enthusiastic about. 
Um, so Sharon, you go, you see your son. He's only been there for a couple of months and you find a totally transformed kid, right? A kid who is all of a sudden, instead of saying, you know, where's the food in the cooler? Um, he's saying to you, come, I want to show you the books in the library. And instead of saying, you know, can we run out and do laundry? Um, he's saying, I want to talk to you about the ideas that I've been encountering. Um, so how does that lead from a visitor's day two months into the Mechina uh, to, and you heard the same thing from other parents, as you pointed out. How did you, though, then go about creating this program? How did it start? When did it start? How many people are in it? What does it do? And all of that. So they, uh, they invited the parents to come. After that, and I came. I went for one day in the Mechina. Then I came again, and I did it three times. And there, being there with the kids, studying, having the whole day with them, I realized that something is happening and how they are doing it and what, what is the difference between the normal environment, WhatsApp, the news, everything is fast, one minute, 40 seconds, not serious, not uh, with no depth, with no, with no background. You know, suddenly you find kids that studying, thinking, talking, having a real conversation. No, I, I saw it in those three days. Then I one day I spoke with the manager of the Mechina and I said, okay, he said, yes, we always invite the parents. You are the first one who came in 18 years. So I came there. I, start, I decided to change something in my life, to keep my regular life, job and family, etc. But to have, to have such a window a different window, a different time in my life, and I decided to to prepare uh, a course in history because I studied history. Uh, I'm I have a master in history, so I studied history to prepare a course and to start to teach in Mechinot to see what is happening there. So I teach in three Mechinot, and one of them, the manager, which is a very famous man, uh, Muki Betze, got sick, and he asked me to to replace him. I thought it's for one week. Uh, two weeks maximum. It took one and a half years. Now he's okay. He came back. Everything is perfect. I'm still teaching in this Mechina. But after a year of preparation, working in not working, but uh, giving lessons in three Mechinot, uh, different Mechinot, because it was important to, to learn, to see the differences, to see the different ideas, etc. I I found myself a manager of a Mechina, and I dedicated one and a half years. When we finished, when I finished, Muki Betza came back. Uh, what year I was had... this approximately? What year are we talking about now? Well, um, five years ago. Five years ago, okay. Okay. When, uh, four years ago, when he came back, I said, okay, what's now? And I, no, I didn't. I knew. I met so many parents in these years that... Uh, learn things from their kids and that uh, express the wish to have something like that in their lives, that it was clear. When I finished uh, in, uh, in the Mechina, I, 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 I knew that I want to do something like that for us. And the big question was how, do you, how to do it. So the how to have such a window in life for adults, for parents that cannot have a window of a one year. They can have some hours every week. And uh, that's how we built the Shatefas Manor. 
Although I guess a lot of parents would be very happy to leave their homes for a year and go sit out in a camp somewhere and, uh, you know, study for a year. But life has certain obligations and they probably have other children who need taken care of and jobs and all of that. Okay, so Nora, you're a participant in this. Your daughter went to a mechina. She had, as you pointed out, a transformative experience. My kid also went to a mechina, had a transformative experience. Um, it is really life altering. It's not an exaggeration to say that. And it's, again, the first time that you as a young adult really think about the foundational ideas behind the country in which we hope you're going to make your life. Uh, so it's, it's foundational. It, it's transformative in that. It's transformative, I think, religiously. If, you're, if you grow up religious, it's the first time that you're in a non-religious environment. If you're not in, in one of the non-Orthodox ones where you actually have to not, quote unquote, defend, but you have to be able to explain to the other world why you're committed to what you're committed to. And that's the first time that you probably ask yourself why you're committed to what you're committed to. Um, if you grew up in the non-religious world and you meet these religious kids, you find all of a sudden these are not people who are superstitious or backwards or unsophisticated. They're incredibly sophisticated. They're incredibly knowledgeable and they believe in something. And if you don't believe in that, then you end up asking yourself, well, then what do I believe in? What do I actually think is bigger than me, is greater than me? And these are critically important questions at the age of 18, 19. Some people occasionally stay for a second year. So Nora, your daughter goes off to Mechina and you find out about this program, Rishatev um, Sharon's program. Tell us about your experience in it, what you're doing, what you're learning. And I also want to hear about in what way it's enabled you and your daughter to have different kinds of conversations than you think you'd have if neither you nor she had gone to such a program. Okay, great. So although I know Israel very, very well, the Mechina exposed me to people and places that I could never, ever have accessed on my own. So let me tell you a little bit about the curriculum, the things that we did. We went to Hebron and we went to Hilltop Settlement in the Shomron to speak to Jews who lived there to understand their perspective. And then afterwards, we spoke to the IDF soldiers who protect them. We met with African asylum seekers living in Tel Aviv. We met with Kibbutznikim living on the Gaza border. We met with young soldiers manning Iron Dome batteries, Bedouin women who were small business owners, Haredi men learning computing skills, Jewish farmers who are sick of paying protection to Arabs so that they can farm in peace. We heard from the heads of Machsom Watch, which is the women who monitor the behavior of IDF soldiers at checkpoints in the West Bank. We heard from the mayor of Omer, a town in, in uh, the Negev and the organization Regavim about what they describe as the untenable situation of the Bedouin in the Negev. We heard from citizen watch groups like Lobby 99, which is the people's lobby group in the, uh, and the movement for the quality of government in Israel. We had discussions on who's a Jew, on whether we're Jews or Israelis, whether it matters, on Islam, on climate change, the Talmud Mishnah. We had this whole year. Um, and these were things that I could talk to my daughter Corinne about because oftentimes we would have the same speakers and she would say, Ugh, he's going to be a good speaker, he's going to be a bad speaker. But the main thing was that, you know, at our Shabbat dinner table every week we talk about, uh, you know, big issues. Um, and, and these were issues that, you know, usually we talked about more macro issues about Israel. We both, you know, she was born in the United States. So looking at Israel from the United States and this was now immersing ourselves in Israel, favorite, and the conversations that we had with these speakers. I've been on many missions and trips um, as an overseas person in Israel. The speakers were now talking, you know, to Israelis with a lot of um, assumed knowledge and, you know, the people that have done the army, people that live here, people that understand why it's so expensive to live here. So it was a very, very different sort of insider's um, 
insider's view. So in that way, our conversations changed at the dinner table. Nora is an example, is a good, very good example for somebody who came, who just came to Israel. But in the last years, we had, we had Yaron that is, grew up in Israel, lived in Israel all his life, but he left for 16 years in the United States and he came back. He came back five years ago. And he, uh, he came back to Israel. I mean, he's Israeli, he's Hebrew, he's fluent, etc. He said after the end of Mechina that he changed his life. How come? We are not, so we don't dedicate time to the questions of the, or, and the reality that we live. We don't have time. We go to work, then we watch television, then we, etc. Et and Yaron is an example for an Israeli that lived here all, all his life, and the, the year gave him something that he couldn't have. I say always that I, I'm speaking about myself. I live here always. We have a picture, a black and white picture of Israel. Black and white, also the, the differences there, there and, and, and it's not clear. One year of thinking about it, meeting the people that make the difference, that are trying to influence the society, and you get a color picture. I mean, it's the same picture. Israel doesn't change. But you see many more details in the picture. And the most important thing, I think, is that you feel at home. The question is, what are we in a modern society, in a modern country? And I think we feel, lots of times, we feel guests, guests at home. We don't understand exactly why do they do it, the politicians, what are the questions, what are they arguing about, what is the meaning of giving money to this, argue, to this project and not to the other project. And after that year, you start to be a, a landlord, a landlord in Israel. And it's, it's, it, ha it happened to me. It happened to, to people that I know that lived, you know, Olim Chadashim that came to Israel 30 years ago. Carlos, Yeni, my wife, lived here for 30 years and never understood exactly what is happening. And now they say, okay, now we are landlords. We are at home. Right. The curriculum really frames things. The other thing that I thought was really fascinating, Israel is such a small place. There are people that live 20, 30 minutes from the West Bank had never been there in their lives. People that had never set foot in East Jerusalem. It's just it's mind-boggling that we all, like Sharon said, everyone goes to work, comes home, watches TV. We all leave our little silos, and this sort of blew that away. And, and the distances are so small and yet so large. That, that really struck me about, about the year that was. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it, that the distances are so small because it's a tiny country and you can traverse it by car in a day. Um, but they are so large. And as you point out, there are so many areas that people who live literally a 20, 30-minute drive away um, just have never gone to. And uh, it's in all different groups. It's, 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 you know, many people have never been to a Haredi neighborhood. Uh, many Palestinians just over the Green Line have never seen the ocean. They've never actually been able to go to the beach. I mean, uh, whatever. And I think, again, just to give a little bit of a kind of a subtle commentary to the list of programs that you mentioned, Nora. So when you talk about doing Machsom Watch, that's typically thought of, rightly or wrongly, fairly or unfairly, we'll leave that aside right now, it's typically thought of as a left-of-center project. And when you talk about things like talking to people who are 
um, who are agri people in the agriculture world who are tired of paying protection money and let's say Hashomer HaChadash, which is an organization that tries to help them out, that's thought of, again, rightly, wrongly, fairly, unfairly, it's thought of as a right of center. So the, the, the list of issues that you raised really kind of traverses all the yeah. political boundaries, all the religious boundaries, all the socioeconomic boundaries. Um, as Sharon was saying, to enable people to feel that this is a country that I really fully understand and I can be a much more uh, involved citizen. Now, how does it actually work? I mean, technically, like when do you meet? How often does it meet? Where does it meet? Um, and if someone's listening to this who happens to be an English speaker but lives in Israel and says, um, oh, my God, this is something that I want to do, uh, does their kid have to have gone to a mechina? Um, can they sign up even if their kids have not gone to mechinot? Uh, where do they sign up? How do they do all of this? If someone wants to learn more about it just to become more conversant in what you're doing, all of that. How does all this work? When do you meet? Where do you meet? And all that. Start with that. So let's menu. I was in the third, third cohort, um, and there it's grown so much so that there are actually two, uh, two shluchot, two branches. One that met at the INSS in Ramad Aviv near the university every Monday night from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. We would have a lecture from 5 to 6.30, then a break, and then another lecture from 7 to just before 9 p.m. Uh, and then that was on Monday nights, and on Tuesday night it met in Zichron, the same sort of program. Uh, Separate from that, I would say there were probably seven or eight Tiulim tours during the year. Uh, a couple of them were overnights to the Negev, for example. Uh, so we went to B'nai Brak. If I can tell you, I don't know if we have time, but I would love to just share my experience of B'nai Brak, apropos a neighborhood that I drive past on that Jabotinsky Street all the time, had never really stopped there, would never have had a chance to have experienced what we did. But I can come back to that afterwards because we're still talking about the program. Um, you don't have to have had a child that went to Mechina. I think it's ideal if you do because then it's obviously much richer at home. But I don't believe that you have to have had a child to come. Well, Mechinot and Shnot of course, if, the, if you have kids that uh, are in, their, in this age of Mechinot and Shnot and they go, of course, you'll, uh, you'll feel more in the business and uh, and it, it makes a lot of difference in the family in the family these ideas these talking is start to be part of the family and this is stronger that's why uh, we always call these people no we try to reach these people but uh, let's say half of the people are not the regular people uh, that olim uh, we have always someone that is ole hadash as I said, we have Olim Yeshanim, people that live here for 20, 30 years, and uh, we live a lot of Israelis uh, uh, that that want, you know, that want to feel at home, to understand what is happening, and you know what? And to meet new people, and to meet people that care, mm -hmm. not the cynic uh, talking about uh, bad things. You know what? I want to say something about Haredim. We have one day in Bnei Brak, and we have a preparation meeting with Haredi before and something after. We don't push people to do things. We don't uh, think we can push these uh, adults to, to, to try to decide for them what is important. The interesting thing is that every year something happens. In the first year, people that work in high tech, they said, okay, these Haredim that I, some of them hated, you know, I had two people that didn't want to come. They didn't want to meet them. 
after having one day meeting all types of Haredim, you know what, except the very extremists, because I don't care about them. There's no reason to try to talk about them, uh, with them, excuse me, to talk about them, there is a reason, but not with them. Uh, but we, we met so many people and they have, they have decided to launch a program of helping uh, young Haredim that studied uh, computers to enter to the high-tech industry of Israel. And it works for three years. They have 25 mentors, volunteers, and they did great. There is a school in Bnei Barak, and we met the rabbi, and we met the teachers, and we know we work with them, you know, hand-to-hand. Every year when they finish, we, we enter to the program before it finishes and we take the people and we add them and all of them, all of them are working. You know, our target, we say our target is 100 cars from, from the company, you know, uh, parking in Bnebrak with the logo of the company. And we are doing, no, it's not what, what is, it's not we, they are doing. The people, the participants are doing it. Now, a year after, they had another program, but I don't want to. There are so many programs, people decide. Okay, I am interested in what is happening here. I can do something about it, and I have the right people around me. I, I meet new people that care, and I can do something with them. Not with all of them, but with some of them, with big groups of them. I mean, that's the really extraordinary piece of this. I mean, there are many extraordinary pieces of this story, but... First of all, one of the extraordinary things is most of the time, I think parents say, you know, I had such and such an experience, so I want my kids to have it. I went to this kind of a college. I want my kids to go to that kind of college. I went to this kind of a camp. I want my kids to go to this kind of a camp. And this is exactly the opposite. It's parents looking and saying, my kids had this experience and I didn't. I want to have what my kids had, which is very, very interesting and unique. The second thing I think also, again, as you're pointing out, is the is the breaking down of barriers and the erosion of boundaries. And we often think, I think, especially outside of Israel, but even inside Israel, we tend to think of Israel as a highly polarized society. That's, of course, depends on relative to what society, obviously, these days. But um, the truth of the matter is what you're pointing out, Sharon, is that just simply meeting the other person not only softens the impression, it can actually go much further than that. So these are people that did not want to even meet Haredim and ended up building a program to bring them into the world of high tech. And this is just kind of the model. People are often saying, how are you Israelis ever going to bridge these huge gaps between Haredim and not Haredim, between religious and secular, between Israeli Arabs and Israeli Jews? Um, and one of the things that's been characteristic of many of the projects that we've highlighted on this podcast over the last couple of years is the enormous number of people who are doing really extraordinary things um, that don't make the headlines. They don't make interesting little sound bites for CNN or Fox News or whatever, uh, precisely because they're not about conflict. They're actually about people learning and bringing each other in. And the work that you're doing, I think, therefore, is it's educational, it's social, it's national, it's healing. Uh, it's really unbelievably important. And the idea that it came from parents looking at what their kids uh, were experiencing and saying, you know, we want to have what they're having is really just, uh, it's very profoundly moving to me as an Israeli and as the father of somebody who, uh, kids who went to went to Mechinot and so forth. We could talk about this a lot more, but unfortunately, our time is running short. It's a fascinating program. And we will, of course, post the, the link to the project and so forth. Is there still 
time for people who want to join for this coming year to sign up or are you full? No, we are doing it in, in July and August. We, uh, you cannot sign. You, you come you have to, to apply. No, no, no. You come to a hook bite. Uh, look, it's so different from normal life that some of my friends till now don't understand what I'm not, what I'm doing. So you have to, we have to explain it. We call the people to come to meetings. You know, you go to the you write leshatefatz menu in English, Hebrew, or mechina lehorim, and you get to the uh, through Google. You arrive and you can subscribe for one of these meetings. That when uh, we explain, uh, it's like what, a parlor meeting in America. We'd call it a parlor meeting. Okay, so this is the way to understand. Uh, what are we talking about and to understand if it's uh, applicable to your life. Look, it's not, I tell people, if you want to enjoy time, go to, go to see a movie. It's, it's, a, it's a journey. It's a journey, it's a journey to, to, to do and you, you have to decide to do it. You'll get all the profits of doing the, the journey, but uh, it's better that you understand what you are doing, what you are entering to. It's a fabulous phenomenon. It's an uplifting phenomenon. It's really inspiring. So Nora, I want to first of all, thank you for telling me about it in the first place. I had even no idea that it existed. You and I were just simply having coffee and Giva time and you mentioned this program and I said, okay, that we have to actually talk about. Uh, and Sharon, thank you very much for, first of all, what you do for Israel and for Israeli adults and for Israeli life in general. Thank you for taking time to join with us in the conversation today. It's a fascinating dimension of Israeli life, critically important, really thrilled to learn from both of you about it. Um, maybe I'll sign up, who knows? Um, so thank you guys very, very much for the time. I wish you a lot of luck with the program uh, and a pleasant and enjoyable summer. Thank you so much thank for you. giving us the opportunity. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Israel from the Inside. Go to danielgordas.substack.com where you can hear more of these episodes. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to explore, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I'm Daniel Gordas.